Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who also would like to know why a goblin. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I don't think that that question was not actually adequately answered. No, the movie. no, no. We definitely have the guy that that same person prying, and and if it's it's hard to make out in the background, but there's definitely yeah. this sort of hint that like at some point the guy who's doing the like the stage presentation just moves on it's just like uh, right, all right, right. Well, let's start the next section let's keep going i think it's i do think it's a valid question though I, it's a valid question it's also a fascinating one that like the idea that like i'm i'm really impressed that not impressed because it's definitely a thing that would happen but like the idea that you would just interrupt the middle of the stage presentation yeah. and be like hey yeah. hey my hands up why a goblin yeah in a in a movie that obviously is very very interested in an accurate realistic portrayal of its era, it is a wonderful detail to yeah. have just some random guy <laughs> interrupt the music the music question to say why why in your poetic imagery about about the piece did you decide to use the term goblin? to describe your theoretical main character in this journey through life. Right. Yeah. It's it's really it it, it well Very and like weird. and you get this like the everything this movie is jam packed and I again I've never I, you know I've never read the book but this movie right. is jam packed with a lot of those kinds of historical details of like just the whole stage presentation itself is just so right perfectly in tune with that era of bullshittery <laughs> like yes. like what are yes. you doing yes. here what is it what's it called the music and music and meaning at like the ethical theater or something like yeah that. oh yeah no it's <laughs> definitely yes yeah, the ethical hall i was like whoa yes boy yes. howdy we are we are here now Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to a non-criterion film bonus episode. We do one a month, uh, every month except for December, of course, when we do our holiday episode for everyone. Then that's that bonus episode. But January through November, our one dollar and up supporters get to vote on what movie we're gonna watch and get access to all of the back catalog for all the movies we already have watched. There's Mm. quite a few over there, over 50. Uh, And we watched uh, a pretty good mix of movies from uh, Ready Player One to uh, Now You See Me. Uh, uh, That's it. That's the only movies we've seen. And that's it. No, we've just been watching those two over and over again. Now, uh, Louis Malle's documentary, (laughs) God Country. That's a very different podcast we're doing over there. Yeah. We just watched those two movies over and over and over again. You get to you get to vote on which of those two. It's really a commentary on the American American bicameral or uh, right, right. two party system. Uh, you get to choose but, uh, between these two. Eh, okay. Well, it, the problem with it is is that the problem with your our little joke interpretation here is that both of those options are better than my interpretation of the political parties. 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, anyway, uh, no, we've also watched uh, Louis Malle's God's Country. We've watched, um, uh, goodness, I really can't think of another movie besides Ernest. I don't want to mention both Ernest movies for the I, fifth week in a row. Yeah, yeah I uh, feel like the Ernest movies have taken over your brain with regards to this, they really this intro. You're like, they really have. Oh, this is just what we do now. We talk about the Ernest yeah. movies. Yeah, we have done two, two Ernest films over there, and they're not even the out. We do have every single vote supporters if they want to reject the list i've <laughs> i've put together can vote for uh kazam the 1996 children's movie starring shaquille o'neal as a genie uh which they have voted for twice as well yeah i feel like um, at some point we may have to swap that one out just because and we've talked about this before but i'm starting to get the yeah. impression that maybe they don't want us to watch that anymore <laughs> maybe maybe and so like they're uh, not picking it even if even if they would like the out they are like oh boy the out is yeah so much worse than everything else well the other way I've come up with with uh, avoiding lists that everyone thinks are stinkers uh, is to let uh, let supporters suggest their own lists. Yeah, that's the uh, way. And I go. often I often use their ideas as well. And if I use a supporter's idea, if it works out and they want to, uh, we invite them onto the podcast. And it's really fun to talk to someone about a movie they really love. Uh, so that's uh, entertaining to a different realm uh i suppose right. than just talking about a good movie is talking about that good movie or even a bad movie with someone who really loves that movie is, right uh, right i mean it's that, a good experience it is actually a it, it is i think makes the entire experience just more palatable in general because uh yeah like it because you and i already just talk about these movies on the main right. feed just you and me it's nice to have that extra sort of like oh somebody's bringing something else to this to the table yes you know? always good to have a new a new energy uh not that i don't like our energy no we have great we have you and i have great chemistry um we're, we're doing great this is great everything's great <laughs> I don't, don't worry i don't know why you're saying i don't know why you're saying it like it's not true i was thinking about this the other day not to take a totally un, unnecessary tangent but i started thinking about this the other day remember in high school when we pre- pretend to be like an old couple yeah yeah, and now we are basically an old couple, and <laughs> yes. and and the dynamic is not what we portrayed then, but rather right. you and I just know what the other one is thinking about that thing before yeah the other one says it. Uh, it's just a fa- I was thinking about this the other day after we like, hung up. I was like, oh, we are just an old couple at this point. We didn't. Yes. We're not pretending. We are just this thing that we pretended to be in high school. So Pat and I used to have loud, loud fights in parking lot mostly parking lots, uh, yeah about about getting into the car and turning on the heat and why you're walking so slow <laughs> right. and, yeah it was it was it was a lot yeah. of fun at the time and then right just after the fact i like now it's like oh wow like that is not the dynamic we developed but it is <laughs> no. in fact we, we do actually have the real of our grandparents yeah <laughs> but yes uh anyway fun times so yeah. Dollar a month. You get access to the bonus episode. You get to vote on what that bonus episode is for a little extra. Five dollars a month for uh for people who wanna wanna help out a little bit more and can help out a little bit more, and we greatly appreciate it. We also thank those people on air. Thank you to Eric Coronado, to Steven Goldmeyer, and to Chris Otto, our five dollar supporters right yes, now. Thank you. A little above that, we do something that is very special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard write a little personalized note and mail that off once a month. 
We also thank those supporters on air. So thank you so much to Nina Bojnak, to Patrick Yako, to Michael McGrath, Jason Westaver, and Adam Speakerman, our current $10 and above supporters. Yes, thank you. If you want to see those postcards or buy old postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion to check them out. If you want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Thank you so much to those who do support us, and thank you so much for listening. Pat. Yes. I'm going to start off by putting you on the spot. Okay. Last week, the movie we talked about. Yes. We were both convinced we would not remember it in more than two days. Yes. Do you remember what the movie we talked about um, last week? I The name is... I remember some of it. I remember its name okay. being that Hamilton woman mainly because of how just horribly dismissive that title is. That title just <laughs> yes. still makes me yes. angry. Um, and I do remember... I remember most of it. Um, Good. I Good. do not... I re- also remember very much not liking it. Um, I, I bring it up for two reasons. One, because... Uh, when we sat down to record today, I I tried desperately to remember the title of the movie we watched last week and couldn't. Right. Uh, two, there was a point while watching this week's movie where I also thought I'm not going to remember any of this. I uh, don't know. I'm I'm torn on it. I I had yeah. bits of this movie. I this movie is in a weird spot. I don't know anything about Ian Forrester yeah. at all. This is just a completely empty space in my. I know the name, and that's it. It's otherwise just a complete blank spot in my brain. Uh, I've never, right. never read this book or any other book. Uh, I've never read any Forrester either. Yeah, and like, I, I'm kind of like thinking. I was like, I was sort of surprised. I didn't expect the movie to. It doesn't get there, but like to to tiptoe so close to like, it's it's pretty intensely dismissive of. Right, this right. class there is some, of people. There is like good it stuff does in this movie. point out that they are all so, shit bags. Right, pretty, right. pretty clear. So, so we're talking about Howard's End from 1992. It's directed by James Ivory, and James Ivory directed uh, a number, I believe, three uh, adaptations of Ian e. Forrester novels. Uh, the Forrester novel this is based off of came in out in 1910, which is essentially when it's when it's set, uh, and. Th- uh, Ivory is pretty, pretty tied to the text. Uh, I imagine some stuff was probably cut for time. It is a two-hour and twenty-minute movie, but if it's a full-length novel, there's definitely more than two hours and twenty minutes worth of material. Uh, I believe this has also been adapted into a television miniseries, which I imagine is longer than two and a half hours. Right? So, yeah. Uh, but who knows? Maybe there, it's five nights of half hour half-hour miniseries. It's, like I said in the intro, very realistic in its portrayal of the Edwardian area, era. Right. To the point where they wanted uh, costumes made in realistic designs with realistic methods. They wanted to recreate everything as best as possible. Uh, and they put a lot of, lot of work into doing so. Uh, and it paid off at least awards wise, <laughs> they. Uh, well, I mean, the, yeah, this I mean, movie won, won, and was nominated for a lot of awards. Yeah, you uh, can. I was won, looking at the page. It's fucking yeah. nuts. It's yeah. out of control. One, one, three Oscars. Uh, won movies all over the world. 
won a couple of BAFTAs, won, yeah, just audience prizes and, and critics' prizes at film festivals <laughs> literally everywhere. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so people really loved it as an artistic work. Uh, and to that end, the opening of the Criterion essay for this, uh, which is by Kenneth Turin, uh, it's just... I was reading it, and yeah, I've got to... I think I've got to read at least part of it to you. Okay. Not only the ultimate accomplishment of the Merchant Ivory team, but also the high watermark of a certain kind of filmmaking, a landmark example of movies of passion, taste, and sensitivity that honestly touch every emotion. Below its exquisitely modulated surface, this film may set off lasting and heartfelt reverberations in the viewer every time you see it. It moves you in different ways. Uh, huh. That is one of the most uh, highfalutin praise of a movie right, yeah. I have had in one of the Criterion essays for a very long time. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, they are going it's going pretty hard on this movie. Like, yeah, like really, yeah, like, yeah. really into it. You yeah. know. Um, this is, as you said, very much a story about class interactions right we're we're dealing with a upper class sort of old money conservative family their relationship to uh bourgeois middle class uh family of intellectuals artists i guess yeah i mean <laughs> they're they're yeah they're old the yeah i mean it's it's right it the yeah. You've got the sort of dichotomy between the sort of nouveau riche sort of uh, capitalist and the and the old old right. world bourgeoisie, and like it doesn't yeah. paint a pretty picture of either of them. It does uh, not, because the main conflict, uh, as far as class goes, is both of their relationships to a uh, working class uh, gentleman and his wife. Uh, and the one family wants nothing to do with him. The other family really desperately wants to help him, but cannot do so without giving up their own power. And it never occurs they, to them they that they actually that. should give up their own power. Uh, and it and the, and leads the one to the person tragedy maybe, of the movie. Yeah, the one the one person in that family who might actually be willing to do that <laughs> is treated like a lunatic for wanting to do that. Like very very right. specifically, is treated right. like this is a sort of. Wanting to help this person at their own expense is is a, is a form of madness. Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting that, like, beyond just not being willing to give up their power, it goes even worse in the sense that, like, that the the sort of the one family that is sort of kind of dallying in the idea of helping this person is is infinitely willing to give up their moral ground in order to better their lives. Right. Like. Right. materially right like at every turn if they whenever like they're given the option not just between whether or not they can do damage to themselves or not to like you know help this person it's not just that it's like they're actively taking steps that hurt this the this person to better their like sort of material standings you know what i mean like it's 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 more it's not even as passive as we kind of make it sound like 
uh, right. Margaret like actively does things that hurt him to advance herself within yes. within her relationship I, with Henry. I really like how Margaret exists as a character in this in this thing, and played by Emma Thompson, and and of course she's a fantastic actress. Um, but she starts off in that same liberal space as her sister. Maybe not quite as out there as her sister, but when we meet her, um, she is interested in saving face to an extent. She gets that letter from her sister, and they immediately dispatch the aunt for the first jokey sequence of the of the right. movie. Um, and she's definitely so she's definitely interested in fitting in in society, right? right. But she's also interested, and in the society women she surrounds herself with generally, we see at least one remnant of a meeting of the suffragettes, right? right. Where where all of the rest of them saying, "Just give him money." Just give him money. <laughs> like that's right. that's their solution here. Which is not a bad solution, except that he wouldn't take the money if they offered it. Uh but um but yeah. She she's definitely interested, even from the early starts, on uh on fitting into society and societal standards. But in it's not really until she starts to enter into the relationship with Henry that she really becomes way too much like Henry in her relationship right. to, and, you know, talking about them being hangers on, et cetera. Um, right. Yeah. But it's very subtle, right? The way that all works, the way, the way her character changes or, or that definitely changes. Right. You know, no, we, yeah, absolutely. All the I mean, she's, all of the characters yeah. we grow in this movie. No one's not no necessarily for the better, but yeah, they all grow and right. change. Like they're, <laughs> right. they're, no they're, one. they're Almost yeah. no one grows for the better, in fact, actually. But uh. yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it, it, it's a um, well, like no. I mean, I would say that a few people grow, like change, but don't really make a change in the sort of moral standing. Yeah. Um, but quite a few of them, uh, you know, at least Mart as being the sort of hallmark one is is does get worse. Uh, Right, right, the, right, right. The the, the f- other family members on his like on his, the Wilcoxes, right? Don't but she's never. They don't actually grow and change very much at all. They're shitbags right. start to start to finish, all the way. She's through. never. Margaret's never presented as a gold digger. She's never presented as greedy. Uh, she's never even really presented as someone who wants the lifestyle of the Wilcoxes. No, but she is always presented as someone who doesn't want to rock the boat. Right, whatever boat she finds herself in, she's not. She doesn't want to rock it, and that's really her consistency throughout the movie. Uh, right, and I mean, and you know, yes, absolutely. She's she has that doesn't want to rock the boat, but also is like is preeminently concerned with the sort of comfort of her own life. Does that make sense? Like, right. she has right. she she really fits <laughs> into that into that like specific realm of like person who has these ideals but right when it when push comes to shove care is much more significantly concerned with like making sure that like there she has comfort and like right what she certainly, wants throughout certainly her life. the boat the boat she is most interested in not rocking is her own right yeah uh, exactly yeah absolutely but yes like like so many uh upper class 
upper middle class liberals. Uh, she'll speak a, a big talk about freedom and uh, helping individuals. Um, but uh, when push comes to shove, she's much more interested well, in protecting her own, her own interests and and uh, drawing those wagons close to protect right. herself and her family at the very right, absolutely. And then and, we and we watch it happen. I mean, the movie gives us many examples, right? Like it'll be like right. we'll go we go through this thing, right? Like where it it'll be she'll be like she'll suggest to Henry, oh well, we should do something about this and help, right. and then it, but she won't go to bat for it at all right like it's like right the moment he pushes back she just immediately <clears throat> surrenders and then oftentimes then he and then even further surrenders when he like goes the opposite direction is like well actually we should punish this person yeah. for the pre like the the monumental crime of being poor yes yes uh yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah, Henry really just Oh, hates. Henry's just out. I mean, like, well, the good news is, is, like, as we said, and, like, you know, this apparently, just looking very briefly at Ian Forrester's Wikipedia page, is a ongoing theme in his writing. Is like, Yeah, I'm sure. Like, Henry's, the, the movie makes no bones about it. Henry is a piece of shit, yeah. and much of what makes him a piece of shit is inherent to his station in life, his class, and his in his position he i mean and what really is fascinating about it is how closely henry tracks to like the modern day like i mean you just our world is full of henry's right now right shock full 100 percent uh and yeah. that's you know a remarkable thing to like have to come to grips with yeah and and henry is of course um <laughs> i mean he's almost He's almost too capitalist in his presentation, right? Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he does feel like a Dickensian, yeah, character uh, to a certain extent. Like he's not, he's not Scrooge's, Scrooge-ish in that Dickensianness, um, and he's hardly even like Mrs. Havisham-ish in that. In that, no, I just mean sort of. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, he doesn't but, have the same sort of like. There's not as much yeah. flair there. Uh, right, right, in, in fact, right. and that that's part of I think sort of the the beauty of what is being done here is like he's not even interesting in his right horribleness, just, right? Like the problem mean. a problem that Dickens runs into and those kinds of and some of those other period those pieces we talked to mention was like there's this tendency to make the bad like the sort of like the not good character for the sake of the story too interesting. It's like yeah. no, this person's just just trash. Like this person's just a bad person. Not interesting. Right. In fact, and then, you know, kind of not, whether or not this is on purpose or not, whether Forrester's going for this or not, their obsession with wealth and position and and, and that and makes them inherently not interesting. Yeah. They're just yeah. not interesting people be, in part because of that. Right. Uh, obsession with, with possession. Right. You know? I feel like uh, there's a Bunel work we talked about where – where the main character is the the male lead is is obsessed with the female lead to the to the point where the female lead is played by multiple actresses. Oh uh, right, I can't yeah. Remember what the yeah. movie is. Um, so you know it's, it's <sighs> there are a lot of movies in the Criterion Collection that play with themes here uh, that we see here, uh, and Forrester certainly I don't want. I've never read Forrester either. Um, 
but knowing that he's a modernist, uh, <laughs> I can make certain assumptions about him. Right. Um, and I don't, <clears throat> you know, he's not doing Bunelian surrealism. Um, right, right. Not even the not even the surrealism Bunel was doing in Forrester's lifetime. Um, but, right. Uh, uh, of course, Forrester's lifetime is also he, the man. The man lived to be ninety-one. Forrester's lifetime goes to nineteen seventy. Right. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean. You know, not the not the sort of surrealism Bunel was doing in the thirties or the forties. You know, the. Um, but but stuff like. Uh, how do I always forget the name? Whatever the bourgeoisie, what is the name uh, of the movie? Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Yeah, discreet it's the only the one bourgeoisie. I won't forget. It's that right, that right. movie, right? Has which is not the, so deeply in my brain. Yeah. Not the Budel film I've alluded to, which I I definitely won't remember the name. Oh of, no, but, I don't uh, remember that one. I I remember yeah. the premise that we're talking that you yeah. mentioned, but I can't I cannot call it to mind like it is, what it's actually it is, called. It is part of that like trilogy of films. Um, with uh, uh, Nuce la Liberté and and Discreet Charm and whatever the third one is, I'm pretty right. sure it's the one I'm thinking about, but I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, um, but yeah, he's Henry is the head of a uh, colonialist corporation, uh the imperial and africa rubber company or something to that extent yeah it's it's it yeah i mean it's very yes it is named in probably a very normal way of naming those companies but also in a way that seems like an over-the-top joke uh yeah uh he sends one of his sons to africa to nigeria to uh to further the aims of the company um and he's yeah he's just like with with the titular Howard's end you know he's so interested in owning this house that he doesn't like yeah he no i mean that's one of the really ever. fascinating parts about the movie and the thing that i like, i mean there's a lot of class commentary and, st- and stuff in the movie but uh, you know which is stuff i appreciate but i really yeah. engaged with the idea that like his uh, his obsession with material possession leads him to him and his family, like all the members of his family, to like not just like double down, but like quadruple down on this property that none of them wants to live at. Right. Right. Like nobody that wants isn't, that isn't even his. He he and that's the the beauty of the relationship between the old money. Like like uh the first Mrs. Wilcox, we don't know a lot about her upbringing, but obviously she comes from money. Because well, okay, she owns we do know more about her. House. She doesn't come from money per se. Like she does, but she doesn't. Like apparently, her father was, or something like that, was a yeoman. Uh, okay, which means was not money, but like through some, her mother or something like was. It's like through some sort of like, her family is not like old old money. Okay, okay, they are like. They are that that one in a million like random happenstance where like somebody moves up a station through yeah. sort of right yeah like through well, sure yeah I mentioned it only to say Henry has colonized this house in as much as Absol- he's absolutely anything yeah. else well, in his life and I right? think that's part of the point that they're trying to make and I I, I assume the book makes this more clear 
because it, like yeah. in the plot synopsis for the movie, which brings up a thing that is in no way stated in the movie about her 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 lineage. The idea is that like in many ways, I think like Henry to make that more clear, Henry is is colonizing this land that is specifically owned by normalish people like you know what i mean like right, more right. everyday like normal people that he's through through his own sort of and colonial ambitions through marriage as well has taken over right and refuses to let go of and refuses uh i think there's a line that says essentially this in the movie um but it never even occurs to him that what he has done could be wrong. Well, I mean, it's the very end of the movie, right? At the very end, right. he's like, he like does that thing where he's like, well, I mean, like, I didn't do anything wrong, right? right. And like, we right. as the audience, like, get to like side eye him, right? And be like, the yeah. fuck you didn't. Like, we want, and like, you know, we get to go, we get to, this movie has that sort of omniscient thing where we get to watch him and his family justify their dismissal of his his uh deceased wife's wishes right like we watch them step through that process right of of sort right. of justifying their material like ambitions right and like well we you know they you know we watch them go through it it's really fascinating because they they start with the premise that they're not going to give this up and then but they don't even within their own circle of family they can't readily mentally admit to the i like they're sort of whatever sort of i'm, I'm trying to think of the, the um was the social construct they're operating in they can't just offhandedly dismiss this right. like they're they're their sort of like obsession with material the the rules of material possession won't let them just completely offhandedly dismiss this thing she wrote because that's a violation of the fundamentally capitalist structure they built for themselves, right? Like, she owns this. Right. And in death gets to decide what happens to it. So they have to walk through this process of, like, well, what justification will work and is viable for us to present to say that, no, she didn't actually want to do this? And they get there. Of course they get there because right. that's... The, the, of it course, would be they impossible do, right? for them not to get it. right. There. Exactly, and it's just fascinating because they actually like they kind of like spaghetti against the wall in a little bit, right? right they like throw, right. throw like four or five different ideas, and and the funny thing is, is there there's my the, one of the characters that fascinates me most in the movie is Dolly, which yes. is Charlie uh, Charlie's wife. No, yes, it Charlie's is Charles's wife. wife. Yes, and she's written as a as a dunce right she's written as a complete like she has no right. sense she's spacey she has no sense but right but inherent to the nature it kind of has this sort of like from the mouth of babe sort of thing right uh yeah. where like she just speaks the truth and and more often than not and says what what is actually she almost plays a sort of pseudo sort of chorus role of just yeah. saying the thing that is actually happening like in that scene, she basically comes out and says, "Like, well, we're not gonna give it to her, right?" Like, and then like she has another one more line, and then like he gets all like Henry gets all pissy because she's broken the sort of unspoken rule that we're not going to right. say out loud the thing we're gonna do. Uh, 
And she does it later. She, she does it a couple more times yeah. in the movie where, like, she just says the thing that the mo- the family is inherently, right. we all know they're thinking, but, like, almost like Forrester put the character in there to, like, just be doubly sure we are all on the same page here, right. uh, which is right. just kind of interesting. Yeah. Like when, even in that scene where Charles says, I believe he says, uh, my mother would was not in her right mind when she wrote this, and also it doesn't even look like her handwriting uh, to me. Right, which is just that that, that classic. Like, you're yeah. going, you're going to again. We're just <laughs> right. going to throw it all out there and see if yeah. any and of Dol- this works. Dolly immediately calls him out on. Well, didn't you just didn't you just admit it was that she wrote it? Right. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously it's her who casually out loud says toward the end of the movie about. Uh, isn't it ironic that? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, she plays a really. Cr- I mean, at that point, right. her her thing actually brings to forefront like the sort of like culmination of the movie, right? But right. she does it throughout. Like when like when um, Leonard and uh, what's her what's his wife's name? I, I'm blanking. It starts with a J. Jackie. They. She says Dolly says something about her too. Like it. Dolly is that that character who's meant to just make sure we're all aware of what the family's actually thinking which is i guess fascinating because again i i'd I'd actually kind of be interested to read this book but like i imagine that the book is a little bit more slow which probably would turn me off of it but like um she i don't know why you would need that in a movie in a book where you have a omniscient narrator who can just tell you what the family's thinking yeah. Uh, unless that, I mean, it'd be interesting to find out because maybe that the book doesn't have that, right? Like maybe she is necessary because the book doesn't allow its narrator to appear into the minds of the characters. But, um, yeah, just uh, just a thing I was thinking about. I was like, well, this wouldn't actually be necessary per se, but we're doing it. She's in. She's in the movie at least, letting us know. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, she's great. She is she's uh, among my favorite characters in the Yeah, movie. I mean like her already... character itself is a terrible person, but right, but, right, obviously. But like but uh you know, with regards to her function in the movie or in the story, she's great. Funny backstory on this. Apparently, uh Vanessa Redgrave uh really hesitated to agree to do this movie. Oh yeah. Uh until Ivory essentially doubled her salary offer on a whim. Um, and then she was like, oh, I guess I have to do it. Uh, but then she showed up first day of filming uh, thinking that she was playing Margaret. Oh. Uh, and uh, Vanessa Redgrave was not especially old at the time. Uh, old enough, certainly, you know, but right. 55. Uh, and she's... Vanessa Redgrave aged very well. Uh, so, um, so she, uh, she could have played Margaret probably. Right. Um, and it was not unreasonable for her to assume that. Well, she was and then, Margaret. and then honestly, might I mean, I, again, I don't know the movie, the, the source material, but might actually be more in line with like the sort of like age of a person that, uh, the writer had in mind. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh. It was apparently the hair, hair and makeup, uh, day one, uh, which 
was making was, her look much, much older than she was, right? Had to explain to her, "Oh no, you're playing the first Mrs. Wilcox, not the, not the second. Uh, sorry to say." Um, uh, and she stuck around, so I don't know. I guess a benefit on her end is now she's making twice as much money to for for, for significantly third, less work. Yeah, yeah, a third of the role she go thought be she in had, another movie so. because you, you yeah. Know. You yeah. got plenty of time. You're not in this movie that much. <laughs> right, right. Uh but yeah. Um also her niece is in this movie, plays Evie. Uh okay. her daughter in law in the movie. Uh there's two two bottom carters in this movie. Uh the uh the woman who plays the uh Schlegel's aunt, um, Aunt Julie, is Prunella Scales. Um and her nephew is Samuel West, who plays Leonard. Uh, huh. So there's a lot of a lot of small world in British acting in this movie. Too. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, small it's like... world, small world. I uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at the bottom Carter family tree, but uh, 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 there's I have about not. there there's about forty actors of the 20th century. They are they are a British acting dynasty. Um, so, right. Um, but yeah, Crispin. Bonham Carter plays a character named Albert Fussell, who I actually have no idea who is in the movie. But that doesn't uh, that name does not sound familiar to me at all. Yeah, um, I think he is um, at the at Evie's wedding. There is that drunk man with the big bushy mustache. Oh, okay. uh, I think that Albert is his <laughs> son. One I of the guys like in the, the car. idea that like we could be completely just wildly and completely off base about this and just never would just have no idea. It's well, maybe, maybe Albert Fussell is his character's name, and there's also a character named Colonel Fussell who I assume is that guy, it's but beautiful. I really have no idea. <laughs> uh, only by the fact that uh, looking at looking at the guy who plays Colonel Fussell, I'm pretty sure it's that guy. Right. He does not still have the mustache, unfortunately, but. Uh, or at least in the Wikipedia picture, does not. Anyway, uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of people who had already uh, worked together or knew each other, or uh, a lot of seems like a lot of nepotism going on in the casting. In this right? Movie, which yeah, is, I mean, uh, which is which, which is a is, fitting a fitting phenomenon yeah, right, in a movie right. about like this movie. But yeah, right, right. Um, Anna Thompson almost did not star in this. Uh, she was pretty far down the choices, uh, it huh. looks like. Um, uh, Phoebe Nichols, Joey Richardson, Miranda Richardson, and Tilda Swinton were all considered for uh, Emma Thompson's part here. Um, <clears throat> I mean, she but, does a, a very. I mean, she does a very good job. Um, yeah, it, I mean. Acting wise, like I don't have, I don't know what this was up against. Otherwise, in the sort of Academy Awards and stuff like that, but like all told, like I mean, it seems like a feels to me like a very deserved win. You know, yeah, she's quite good in it. Um, wait, right, right. I don't understand. I don't understand what any of. I, whenever I look at the awards page, I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. Um. What year? What what year was the awards for this? Uh, it would have been the ninety three Oscars, I believe. Ninety three. I can never figure that out. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It it's 
Oh, I, I'm never going to. Uh, because if you go to the I page, you... it's just a mess. I, right. Uh, wherever you're going with that, I'm going to interrupt to tell you the right. most delightful, the most delightful piece of background trivia on this movie. Uh, they filmed the uh, the bank scenes at the Baltic Exchange in London. Mm-hmm. Soon after they filmed, uh, the IRA blew up that building. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, that all that all feels you know feels what? appropriate Good and proper. Yeah, exactly. I was Good looking to say him. I was like I was trying to figure out how to say what I was trying to get across. It's like, yeah, good on him. Like good job. Like <laughs> as as one should, right? I, I I probably shouldn't click over to the Baltic Exchange and then find out that hundreds of people died. Uh but <laughs> Yeah, I mean there is that risk. Um there's that sort of down but I mean like in general, blow up all the banks, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um the world will not be worse for it. I will tell you that. Indeed, indeed. Actually, on the Baltic Exchange Wikipedia, there is no mention of one of their buildings being. Yeah, you had to go. The... I looked up Baltic Exchange IRA, and then I got it. Um, yeah. Nineteen uh, ninety two. Uh, wow, like right after. Yeah. Fucking like April nineteen ninety two. Um. Yeah, it's pages a lot. It, it seems like it killed three people. Oh. Unfortunately, one of them appears to like all of them. Yeah, I mean, like it, you know, of course, it, it was nobody like important. It was just basically innocent bystanders, which is that's very unfortunate. Sad. Yeah, yes, always, always an issue. Blow up the banks, don't kill the janitor. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's it's always you know we we kind of talked about that with uh, that other movie. What, what was that movie with the with the where it was the weird like fake Zion the David Mamet movie. Oh, the one recently. The Talking homicide. about a movie that has yeah. completely slipped my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's that even the name of that Hom- movie? Homicide is the name of that. Oh, movie. Homicide. Yeah, like. Yeah. Is that like? It's actually pretty hard to figure out a time when you can blow up a building and not hurt anybody. That's sort of the, right, right, the right, flip right. side of that. Is that like? Yeah, of course that's the the goal and the dream, right? But also, boy, there sure are a lot of people everywhere, and 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 we a thing we constantly accuse. That's always a kind of a refrain when you like with American drone strikes is a thousand times more true uh, of of sort of modern like neoliberal and capitalist sort of endeavors is like all the worst shit is just embedded deeply inside of like very mundane, normal humanity. Right. Like all the banks are like certainly going to, you know, you, you know, they're all nearby. A lot of normal people are going to get hurt. Right. So sort of flip side of that. Um, like that's like you know in the movie like well it, it's empty it's like well yeah but like it's in a building right like nobody else is gonna get hurt. Um, not to say that you shouldn't still destroy banks because you should. <laughs> Let's be very very clear. Well, I, okay, we we talked about on a bonus episode months ago, uh, maybe years ago at this point, Fight Club. I think it's years ago, man. I think that was years yeah. ago. I'm almost sure <laughs> and, that was years ago. And in light of that, I w- I will say. Uh, Blowing up banks is maybe less important than blowing up bank infrastructure. Uh, well, I, I mean, like, is, let's be clear is, here. Is, like, even in 1992, the physical building and the thing it represented were much more closely tied to each other. Uh, still not perfectly. You're still mostly about sending a message. But by now, it, it's time is, as time has gone on, those two things are farther and further divorced from right. each other, right? 
Um, oh, hey, the uh, the building that replaced the exchange that got blown up by the IRA. Yeah, is that is that really really phallic skyscraper? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 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 Wait, like I really, they really doubled down on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> Just incredibly, it's uh, a, like a cartoon rocket ship. It looks like. Yep. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I wish it had wings, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, back to the movie. We digress a little bit. Um, Leonard is unfortunately also presented as sort of an exception to his class. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it's very easy to forget when you're watching the movie that like Leonard is also like kind of doing something. It's like almost doing charity work uh, through his marriage. It's very right. Strange. Right. Yeah, that's another another issue is that Leonard doesn't Leonard doesn't have any sort of sexual obligation to Jackie. Uh he he was in no way involved with uh ravishing her and leaving her <laughs> casting her aside in the manner that uh say uh Mr. Wilcox was. Right. Uh or that uh uh, untalked about, but our opening scene is the younger Wilcox uh, attempting to yeah, do that do, with attempting to do the same thing, yeah, <laughs> with Ruth, um, or not with Ruth. Well, with, I mean, uh, there's definitely a commentary Helen. there on like the relationship between that sort of behavior and and like again, sort of imperialist, yeah, behavior, right? Like this possession, sort of, like, right? Yeah, like conquest, con- conquest, taking what you wanted and leaving as a sort of fundamental process of imperialism right 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 um but yeah he's his his relationship with jackie is one of obligation but the obligation he feels is out of pity really it feels like yeah it's a real hard it's a little hard to read like i imagine again and probably in the book it's clearer because it does seem to like go a little like a little both ways but by the end by the time like things get real real bad at the end like it's very clear that he doesn't really like jackie anymore right and like it doesn't even... seem at the beginning that he dislikes her like at the beginning he's preoccupied but it doesn't seem like he necessarily he seems to actually maybe enjoy her company yeah but when we first see him at home until she got into his lap i thought they might be siblings i did uh... too but i think that's more probably meant to be a commentary on like the nature of like sort of these sort of like um and the fact that every other house we had been in so so far was a bunch of siblings, siblings. living together yeah that's so, part of it i'm sure uh, and then just right. i was combining that i had the same thought but then i also was pro- like thinking about the fact that like uh, who knows what Forrest was trying to get across but like the right. idea that like he's sort of preoccupied with like mentally maintaining his class status even though he's physically yeah. lost it which has like become a sort of preoccupation with him right like he's still doing his old class position despite yes. not having that class position um and like there like the movie definitely has some probably has something to say about that sort of incompatibility there right like like Jackie right. is actually of that class whereas like Leonard's a sort of transplant and could and right. could return to his old class status anytime he wanted probably like 
it's hard to tell, but like you do get the impression that if he were to abandon her, he would almost right. probably immediately be able to return to his old life. He doesn't, which is its right. own sort of separate thing that the movie's talking about. But yeah, um, because he does, he does feel that obligation. But of course, uh, one thing story-wise that Leonard's relationship to Jackie being one of pity allows is for us not to be mad at Leonard when he sleeps with Helen. Right. Uh, right. Because which is, which, well, and that's a problem with like, again, with the story is that like, but Jackie very clearly does like Leonard. Right. Right. And like, so it's still, you know, it, yeah, there's still issues. Certainly. Yeah, well, and it's, <laughs> it's hard to tell what we're supposed. It's hard to tell what author intent is there at that point. If yeah. we're supposed to think about it from Jackie's perspective, or we're supposed to think about it from Leonard's perspective. Um, yeah, and, or just and maybe one, both. Maybe we're supposed to just try to like take it from both sides. There, I don't know. Yeah, um, and you know, up until, or even maybe through, um, the discovery of. Jackie and Mr. Wilcox's prior relationship. Um, she's frequently presented as uncouth, as uh, somewhat of a burden in our relationship with Leonard, at least. Um, he is. Uh, she is certainly, from our love story standpoint, the thing keeping Leonard from pursuing Helen. Uh, so, I don't know. I feel like with Jackie being really our only actually named lower class character. Right. Uh, the movie does not treat her well. Um, no, no, it doesn't. I think, I think the, we as a, and like, again, we don't, I don't know enough about the original story. Just given the nature of the way that the, every, like the description I did read of Ian Forrester is I, I would be very curious to read, to know how she's treated in the book. Yeah. Um, and just, like, she's it, not even with she, well, you know, but that's also sorry. she's also a victim of like the nature of this sort of like class dynamics and like sh- her her family was not lower class; they were middle class, right? And and because the system has no no ability to no has no interest in main in like preserving the sort of the, like the sort of status of people of middle class her father right. dies and she's immediately cast like like loses all status right like loses all yeah. position status in society right right uh, and then the first and then is, and then, is, and then to... is also colonized like it's also like right, right. like mr wilcox the, the movie yeah. the, the main takeaway from the movie let's be very clear is we really our main takeaway is Henry, that like henry's a bad man henry's <laughs> a bad bad man and it yeah. is and is directly meant to be purposely very representative of his class and type of right. person and so are the um schlegels but for d- right. different in different ways but equally bad like yeah the schlegels willingness yeah. to just compromise specifically with margaret willing to compromise all their their ideals and their beliefs in favor of ma- like material comfort is equally bad just yeah. different so so two things you've made me think of Right now. One, I feel like this movie as class commentary kind of starts to fall apart when the only the only lower class people we care about are fallen middle class people. 
Right. Um, right. I but also though there I not I I'm playing devil's advocate. I agree with you in general. Yeah. But but I think it is also worth noting that that is a commentary that can be if if more subtle than the better done than this movie does it. That can be a commentary on the fact that like the line between middle and lower class is is even more imaginary, like especially at this time is essentially right, right, an right, imaginary right. line of like whether or not you have a job right now or not. Yes. And like Leonard um, talks of Leonard does come to is coming to grips with that idea sort of actively in the movie. We talks about like, well, when you're in this position, if you you lose your job, that's if you don't have your job anymore, that's it. Like you just there's no second chances. You're not going to get right. another job. Um, right. Uh, the other thing being, I think, then in light of Henry being such a obvious symbol for the entire British imperial machine, uh, it is then interesting that Ruth, his first wife, uh, who is he is also colonized, is uh, from a more self-made family and all of her politics can be summed up with I love England so much. Right, yeah, no, that's definitely, there's definitely something, there's definitely, a, again, I probably the book elaborates on that more, but yeah, yeah. The, the, the movie definitely shorthands it as like, well, it's just English is, England is just so amazing. It's like, boy, yeah. howdy, you are knee that deep her, in this nationalist doctrine, right. aren't you? Yeah. Her, her support of the imperialism is just nationalism. It's a nationalism that right. she really has no... Is the nationalism of the uh, randomness of of where she was born. Right? Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she's she is a fascinating character. And obviously, you know, she gets... How she's... She's not... She's like even disinterested in... She doesn't want the vote. She doesn't want right. Well, and that's she, yeah. That's she a, thinks all yeah. the men should make the decisions for her, um, which you know she's also at that point a very sick, doddering old woman. Um, but right, but that's definitely an attitude. Like when you go back and look at like yeah suffrage yeah, yeah. movements, there was a whole like competing movement of like, well, we don't want it. It's like mm, yeah, this is uncomfortable to examine. In, 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 well, it's like what <laughs> is it? What is it like the 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 that you ever so often you see sort of those things out there where they're talking about like who the sort of best maintainers of the patriarchy and 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 like racial hierarchy in the United States is is very specifically yeah uh, women uh very good at uh, well, like, re- well, like propagating that yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah specifically yeah well do white women being yeah. ideal candidates for propagating that sort of stuff right uh, but yeah yeah um but but that next step of of Margaret is not exactly uh, helping. <laughs> she's uh, a no. Not well, that's what I'm saying. Is she is willing to. Ca- right. She is willing, and yeah. this is that's the part of the commentary, right? Is like she is utterly willing to dismiss all of her ideals in favor yeah. of that material comfort, right? right? As soon as things look like they're about to get hard for her and her family, she yeah. is absolutely and, willing to throw out like. He, right. Henry and she certainly wants, does not support universal suffrage. Let's right. be very clear. Here. Yeah. Yes, but Margaret, Margaret does, and I think that's sincere. No, I think Margaret, so too. Margaret wants the empire 
with the women having the right to vote. <laughs> that's right, but Margaret, that's not what she Margaret get. wants more. When it, Margaret when, wants more female female prison guards. That's what right, Margaret wants. Right, and, right. And but what I'm and what I'm saying is, if we kind of like play that out a little bit further, is the the final sort of resulting commentary is like Margaret cares about more about her comfort, right, as an individual than Absolutely. that than that ideal she has about her. Yeah. Like her and other women's sta- status in even within the empire, right? Like in the end, like Margaret's not like if we kind of think of it as sort of metaphorically, the person Margaret ends up with is is diatomically opposed even to the idea of her having suffrage. Right. Right. Like he's very much fits in that category of that dominating man who like tells her what to do, right? Yes. So like one hundred percent. If we if we if we kind of mix our things together here, our sort of like metaphorical versus like reality, like Margaret is willing to give up her concept of having a right to self-determine in favor of her own comfort. Like, right. A hundred percent. And that's, there's definitely a commentary there. And when she finally realizes in a moment that she's made a mistake, her, her rejection of, uh, of Henry is to throw the keys back to him. It is to, it is to reject the possessions he has chosen to share with her. Right, right. Uh, which is, you know, it's it really is a fascinating movie symbolically, class wise. It really is. Yeah. Um. No, when I when I when I said that I, there is a point in this movie where I thought it was going to be as forgettable as last week's was for me, uh, that point passed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is, no, I was worried yeah. too. Like when we first start that, when yeah. you first start the movie and for a good while in the movie, you're like, Oh, this is just like, this is my nightmare, which is like <laughs> shitty, like right. you're or like English, like period drama that like, reinforces the concepts right, of that the has, imperial that has empire, nothing right? interesting to say to me right, right? which is on board yeah. for all the things that are that empire right like they're like right, oh yeah right, like right. this is this is all good and great we all love it uh essentially if the without the concepts of class struggle within it and like the hypocrisy and stuff like that inherent to those classes those these kinds of movies can be extremely boring like can be right, just a right. fucking nightmare yeah um, Whereas this one isn't, uh, because it's, yeah, it has that, right? <laughs> because it has that, I'm interested in it to an extent. Yeah, uh, I, I, I actually really, I enjoy, I enjoyed the watching of it. I, yeah, I, I actually did. I was quite engaged with it because it, it, it didn't ever cease to surprise me. In, it's not, it doesn't go as hard as it could. Like the movie and probably the book could both be even more like. There's, there's still plenty of room to cast this, uh, castize the well, the British Empire. You know what I mean? There's still space for that. See, the book coming out in 1910 and and being a modernist work, you know, we're dealing with, um, sort of the first wave, and we're still pre pre World War One at this point, so yes. it's really not come to a head of the disintegration of, uh of that wave of uh, social structures of disillusionment in, in hierarchy. Right. You know, we are at the, we are at the tail end of uh, the age of, of Kings in Europe. 
Right. Right. Which really does not fall apart, really fall apart until World War One. Right. Um, in as much as it has fallen apart, because obviously there's still, there's well, still a lot I of mean, people, still a lot of people named king and queen. Uh, right. I mean, but yeah, Europe, like, but. but that 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 relative position to what it means yeah. in society and stuff does pretty radically right. change, right? Like, right. Um, yeah. And of and of course, in the power changes that accompanied the modernist era and the post World War One. Power structural changes. Uh, colonialism did not end. Uh, no, well, in, and, that, and that and well, in I mean, the like, early twentieth century, it I mean, like, it got worse. Right, uh, absolutely. Like, I mean, it, it seems that Forcer is is trying to sort of capture a moment, right? Is trying to yeah, to absolutely directly engage with the moment that he's in. I I I'm just saying, yeah, and I and I agree with you. I'm I'm just saying that like. There's always space to go harder, right? Like, absolutely. It's not necessarily that they, he would. I'm not. It's not really a critique, really, because like the movie, the movie, and I presume the book, much in the same capacity, because a movie is never going to go harder than the book, it, generally. Um, yeah, does continuously surprise me in how much it's willing to engage in, like, really aggressive critique of the class structures of the people and, and the people themselves as representatives of those class structures that it's talking about. Uh, I, that was surprising to me. It's surprising yeah. because I'm not used to watching period pieces that do that. That's, I don't, I, I to my, in my mind, we, we have watched other ones. I, I brings to mind right. kind of, uh, was it like the leopard? I don't know why. Yeah. I don't really remember the bit. leopard very well. Uh, just because it's been enough time that it's sort of become a sort of a vague feeling rather than yeah, a, well, than a the leopard work the leopard was much more overtly political, right, right, uh, and that, but yes, but it does still bring to mind that idea of like yeah, we we actually don't watch a lot of movies that critique class structure. No, we if talk about think, a lot you, of movies as if they critique class structure right, because we're we, critiquing we that movie. Great but yes, leaf, yeah, we we oftentimes end up stretching pretty far to make that happen, so. When we do happen upon a movie that is just about that, it's always a kind of exciting experience. Even even if it's maybe not uh, not perfect, it is still doing a thing that we don't get to watch very often. Right, and that's that's exciting. Like I found that in very engaging. It's like, oh my god, this movie is just talking about the thing that we would probably have to do a lot of work to get to during the podcast. Um, which is it's always just very exciting, and especially in a period piece because like somehow period pieces that do this are even sort of more exciting to me because you see that sort of dynamic of like oh like nothing changes yeah. right <laughs> like things change but nothing actually changes right like it, you you watch this and you're like oh yeah Henry's still walking around just being Henry right now like that motherfucker's right. still right. up and kicking in this world yeah it's uh. I took a British modernism class in college. It was one of my one of my English degree classes, um, but oddly, we focused more on post war, post World War One. So we uh, we read James Joyce, we read Virginia right. Woolf. Um, we were uh, we weren't reading Forrester. Uh, yeah, we um, 
so I'm just I'm not really familiar ideologically necessarily with what what Forrester was after, not right. having read anything of him. Right. And yeah. I mean, I'm just mostly because, working on synopses, but the right. synopses of his serve sort of, of him on Wikipedia. So when you consider that Wikipedia oftentimes tends to water things down, it seems like this is his right. thing, right? Like this is just now, what he's getting getting up to. Now it's also kind of interesting that like Joyce and Virginia Woolf are only three years younger than Forrester, but but they just their known works aren't aren't you know pre. Well, right. It's a you know, where it whereas, is where you fall on which side right. of the of the war yeah. you fall in many ways, and right. like Forrester published other works after right. this that you are post war they probably have already a different mentioned perspective the man, even the man lived to 1970 he he had a lot a uh, lot of time to write a lot so um but yeah not being familiar with any of his work um in fact i think the the earliest the only or the earliest thing within british modernism that i've read i think is women in love um which is D.H. Lawrence, and that's from 1920. Um, so, yeah, I've not. And and the other aspect of that is that each of each of those authors I've mentioned that I have read of British modernism have their own sort of bugbears. D.H. Lawrence is essentially writing softcore erotica, right? <laughs> um, right. Uh, Virginia Woolf is is very interested in in the feminism movement of the, of her time period. Um, and James Joyce is well. Good luck reading a James Joyce novel. James right, Joyce yeah. is, is deconstructing uh, words. Most yeah, of the I time. mean, I have some so. James Joyce novels on my bookshelf that are yeah. mostly there to like balance the whole thing out and keep it from yeah, like tipping yeah, over in right, one direction. Right. I've never gotten past about like the first eight pages of any of them. It's like, well, <laughs> I you know I don't know. Like I I consider myself fairly good at reading and understanding words what with my profession and all and then i open a james joyce novel and i'm like well i mean this was written with letters there are words in here i don't know what's happening um if i if i was willing to put the time in i'm sure i could figure it out but as of right now i have no idea what those books are about now of course now that we're talking about the wilcoxes as symbolic of uh british colonialism writ large um that does make the ending very interesting. Uh one because <clears throat> Henry ends the movie as a pretty broken man. Uh, right. and he ends the movie as a broken man because his son is facing consequences for the first time in their lives. Well, okay, <laughs> I want to which I want to <laughs> talk about for a second, but yeah, like I mean, it's important also note that like Henry and the Wilcoxes in general like a lot of metaphors get to shift back and forth between <laughs> metaphor and and specific example of like, right, right. The system that is this system will also chew up the members of its own upper class, right? Yes. When, when, yes. and how it's necessary, right? Like, if it has to, like, on an individual basis, those people will also be destroyed by this thing that they are a part of, right? Right. 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 That is certainly true, and yes. Uh, and in that regard, you know the the superstructure of the uh, of the system. Uh, every individual cog is as much a victim of that system as right, right. Even even as some of them have much more power and are perpetrators of of violence onto other parts of that structure, 
they are themselves victims right. within because it exists. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like the, this. Yeah. Right. The system will eat its own as necessary, yeah. as often as necessary to maintain itself. Right. Like it. Right. It's just how it works. Right. right. Like um. Uh, so speaking of my my one comment on uh, on I I the only thing I could think after I finished the movie was I don't I don't have a letterbox account I don't know how it works but I thought about writing my only letterbox review which is of this and write zero out of five stars rich rich capitalists don't face consequences period and then just in uh, the in, in the review uh, my right. only real comment on the movie is the unlikelihood that. Charles right, would right. actually go to jail. It's very, it's, it's very zero clean. Chances. It's very clean that Charles faces <laughs> faces consequences because it's absolutely unrealistic. Yeah, it's the most unrealistic part of the, the entire of the movie. Film. It's the, yeah. the, like the, the, it's the only thing in the movie where you're like, what? No, he wouldn't. Yeah, they, they, and and the, and the idea that like Henry believes that that would, is going to happen is like this yeah. is all very laughable here yeah. at the end. Somebody of wanted a, ha- a semi happy ending somehow. What what gets Charles in trouble is the same. It's the fact that he's a dumbass. Yeah, it's the same floundering <laughs> of logics of justification that he exhibits in the conversation about mom's letter leaving Howard's end to Helen. Uh, except he's doing it in front of the police instead of in a closed dining room. Because <laughs> um, uh, it's like, well, you know, I did hit him with that sword once, but it was probably just the heart attack. Uh, right like like he's just a complete uh, yeah i mean uh, charles is meant to be all like charles is a is also an idiot right like that's right right part of the way he's in charge he's not only going to be in charge of this whole thing but he's also just an idiot Ah, charles in charge but Um, like yeah i mean it is still unbelievable that he would actually go to jail like let's be right 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 100 i agree um and then of course once once broken uh, everyone, uh, everyone sort of gives up claim to Howard's End, so that the uh, the Schlegel sisters can live in it together with their new illegitimate child. <laughs> right, which I mean, really does feel like at the end that like, um, Forrester just wants it to wrap around and be neat and pretty at the end, which is kind of a shame because it's, it well, it does make it very unrealistic. Um. Here's where I think it's not that neat because it is it is commentary on the new class of liberal minded bourgeois moving right. into the old positions of power. And you know who we don't see in that last scene uh, living a happy life in the in the fields? Jackie. Jackie. Yeah. Uh, no, that's definitely <laughs> true. I mean. Yeah, you're you're right, and I don't, and it would be, I would really, I may end up having to read this fucking book. Damn it! Um, <laughs> Sorry, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like this podcast giving me homework. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, I may end up having to read it because I would like to know in the book, yeah, if Jackie is mentioned or if, by nature of her being, sort of like unimportant to this society, she also just right. sort of disappears. Um. It, right. it is just a, an interesting thing to think about. With with Leonard is just another man who was offering her hope who who leaves her by, right? Right. Um, yeah. And, and it's not like Leonard Leonard has not shown up at Howard's end to defend Jackie in the end, right? Right. You know, he, is, he is there. He is there to talk about 
I mean, he knows why Helen's gone is why he's there. Right. Right. (laughs) And yeah, Um, it is. It's it is. Yeah. I mean, it is. You make a good point, though, about like the position that the bourgeoisie take up in society once like as a part of the ongoing process of like modernization, they take up this sort of like pseudo liberal sort of like benefactor position in society that is yeah still and landed like, still well off but like takes yeah. up a, a different role of sort of like yeah. doling out like benefit to people they deem worthy yeah and, uh, and who like, have like some connection to them margaret margaret throws her keys at henry and tells him he's leaving tells him that she's leaving and then that that last scene is them all together at Howard's end and like it the actual actual last scene i mean the 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 keys the keys and the i'm leaving you takes place before leonard comes back right but the actual yes, yeah the actual last of the scene in the movie is Margaret and Henry, arm in arm, standing outside of Howard's End, right. looking at Doing, yeah. looking at Helen and and the boy playing in the field, right? Right. So, yeah. you know, she has not, and he is broken certainly, but in his brokenness, she is ushering him into retirement, right? Right. Um, yeah, and 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 she is sort of, probably basically, sort of. Yeah, it it's an interesting like sort of like the ending is interesting. It's just hmm. Yeah, it's hard to sort of figure out exactly. I mean, it's mostly like I feel like the ending mostly exists to have that last thing where he's like where we get down to the full truth of the thing and yeah, just realize that even now like Henry hasn't become a better person because he did this thing. Right. Like Henry right. didn't learn anything. Henry didn't become better. Henry didn't like yeah, like Margaret sort of kind of got what she wanted out of it and what she was sort of theoretically owed. But like Henry didn't like learn anything. Henry's not better. Like I right, right. And uh, there's and... Margaret. Margaret is like taking this thing, like is still taking from this like feeding yeah. from this sort of trough that is Presented through Henry. While narratively, we would love for karma or the ghosts of the past uh, to catch up with Henry, that's not how it actually works out for people of Henry's class. No, no, absolutely not. And like, and that's what makes that that inherently is what makes Charles so weird and such an outsider. Is the thing that breaks Henry is the thing that just wouldn't happen. But, um, well, I mean, I don't know. I watch a lot of Perot, so I mean, (laughs) there you go. At least, in, at least in the world of, uh, of Hercule Poirot, <laughs> yeah. like rich people do get in trouble sometimes because they just commit the most abominably planned murders. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. So yeah, um, it's like it's like well, if you do it bad enough, then like the police have to pay attention to some of the, sort of the nominal thought process of Poirot half the time. It's like well, yes. if you make it so obvious, we're going to have to like do something about it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Which is you know essentially what happens to. Uh, to Charles, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Charles is, is Charles borderline pulls a like like the murderer at the end of one of those mysteries, <laughs> sort of like 
you know, like, well, we're in the drawing room, and I'm just going to blurt it out because, like, we right, need to wrap right. this shit up. Yes. I was suddenly I, I, I do I do <laughs> it I do admire the 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 way that the it is very funny that the last word like where he says some he offhandedly mentions the sword and the police officer has to go a sword now like what about this sword <laughs> now like, thought a man had like, a heart attack what are you talking about yeah yeah like there's all this like talk about heart attacks like wait a minute now there's a sword involved this is something's getting suspicious here which, it's just a very funny is... scene because it's like it is like. I don't know. I don't. Know. I, I'm very amused by that kind of like. No one bothered to even investigate like right. what happened in the lead up to him right. having a heart attack. Like that's why is he covered is. in a bookshelf? Like that's that's yeah. what it is. The police up until that moment had not cared enough, absolutely, to investigate Charles until until Charles said so much publicly outdoors in front of a gathered crowd. The police would not have arrested him. No, absolutely so. not. Yeah, no. I mean, like that—that that is legitimately. And, and so, in that capacity, even then, you kind of get this sort of like commentary on the idea that the only, the only thing that can hurt these fuckers is their own stupidity. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like they're like they. The only thing, the only danger to their position is themselves. Right. The only thing that can bring them down is them, whether by accident or purpose, bringing yeah. themselves or each other down, right? And of course, we mean within the within the current structure. The only thing that can bring them down, right, right, is, right, right. No, is, no. Well, yes, of course. There's, actions. I mean, right. as previously mentioned, there are other ways by yeah. which these things can happen. <laughs> right. They just usually involve banks and bombs. I don't know. Yes, yes. Uh, the IRA did do one uh, to yeah. a movie set. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> And cleared the way for a beautiful new skyscraper. A beautiful uh, new weird egg. I believe I did not realize this, but at least colloquially, according to like the wiki, like the internet that when I went and looked it up, they call it the gherkin, which is yeah. yeah one I has to admire one's willingness to just call a thing what it is. Yes. Oh yes, this weird shaped pickle I, thing that's in our skyline now. Uh, you know, they could just call it the dildo, but they're still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could. I don't know. It's a little pointy for a dildo. I feel like it's dangerous. I ended up liking this movie more than I thought I would, and I'm liking it even more in our in our talking about it because, as you already sort of mentioned, uh, we're not reading this class stuff into this movie. This is all here, right? And, the and that's that's why exists. I enjoy it. It's like it's right. it's only okay in a lot of ways, but like, yeah, just a movie where we're not. To win the legwork, right, right, kind of right. nice. Yeah, it's, it's nice like to have it's a like movie. watching what is it like late stage, later stage Goddard or something. It's like oh, like this movie is just about this thing. We don't have to yeah. like. I mean, we still have critiques and we still have things to talk about, but we don't have to like. I don't have to dig four layers deep to just sort of like maybe get into things maybe somebody's hinting at or something, but probably right. isn't or probably that I just maybe invented. Honestly, like I don't have a lot other to say because like. I mean, it does have quite a. It does paint a very specific picture of the way they treat, for example, their domestic servants and stuff like that. There's, it, like, when we talk about Henry being a shitbag, it's in every right. regard, right? Like, <laughs> right, right, like, right, right. It, it's, and I think that's important, and, right? Though, in a movie, though, is is in a movie like this, the fact that he, like, Henry, treats all those he sees as below him, terribly, right. like, right, he he is. 
dismissive and terrible to and like oh yeah that was another thing sorry not to derail but like we before we get to henry we see his 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 progeny we see what he has sired and their interaction with the world and the first time we meet charles we hear charles essentially refer to the idea of sacking the lot of them like five or six times right charles charles lives in a world where 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 he's completely possessed by the idea that he 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 is I'm trying to think of exactly how to phrase this, but like where he where he has no obligations to those who like kind of nominally in the structure are below him. It is like I would you know he talks about the the he talks about the the staff at the train station. He talks about their driver. We radically and very quickly understand that Charles does not have any like what is it like noblesse oblige kind of like conception in his life like he right. owes those who he pays nothing they they have they have no self in and of themselves beyond their right. work that he has any concern for um and i think that's it's important right. that they establish and, that extremely early and similarly to the putting a smile on the same imperialism the Schlegel's relationship to their absolutely uh, house. Yeah, they're just smiling, is, but they're doing the exact same thing, right? Much more friendly, but is still that hierarchical relationship, right? And they and they have this like we mentioned. It's mentioned at one point, like they're like they're they hire, they do it through some sort of weird compassionate liberalism. They like don't really care whether or not the work is very good. Like there's this one thing right, where like right, right. the boot cleaner or whatever who is like terrible at it, but like they hired it because like yeah. through some sort of sense of, of charity or something like that. Right. But they're right, still right. putting somebody they're still right. dragging the, them this into this hyper like hierarchical like oppression sort of environment, right? The the Schlegels are one hundred percent the embodiment of the difference between charity and justice, right, uh, because right. everything they do, they want everything they try to do to put good in the world is charitable, right? Uh, yeah, but none of it, none of it will build to justice for anyone. Right, and the Schlegels have zero interest in flattening the hierarchy. They're right. not. Right. They do believe that they should be where they are. Right, like yeah. that is, they're not and, going to you know change that. And ultimately, all those decisions is what leads to Leonard's death and to Jackie just disappearing, right? So, right. You know, uh, at least Jackie gets to go to the wedding. Jackie at the wedding is wonderful. Yes, um, yeah. When when Charles comes out and demands to know who she is, and she just stares at him and keeps eating. So <laughs> right, it, it's so good. Yeah, it, it, it's it is uh, like it is really fascinating that like it is that 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 thing though, right? Like it really, and that may it may just be a, a a thing of the movie only, but that idea that like Charles is sort of like dumbfounded by someone who's not interested in engaging in the hierarchy that he sees as being right, like fundamental to the universe, right? Like. He he's absolutely flabbergasted by her not engaging with this system, right? Um, and that that is very funny. Do you think? I I'm only thinking about this now, and there's sort of, there's nothing textual to suggest this. Uh, but the way she looks at him, maybe. Do you think she knows who Charles is? Is and she's just realizing whose house she's at. 
when she sees She might Charles. be. That's absolutely possible. And then, like, yeah, that's definitely possible. I'm trying to think, like, yeah, that definitely happens before she meets Henry. Right. And she may, it, certainly in, in a real world scenario, like, again, this is a movie, so you get that, like, well, there's always that disconnect. Like, the son doesn't really look like the father at right. all. But, but like, if their affair was only 10 years ago, I mean, while it was in a foreign country and probably the kids did not travel with him uh, to to where uh, Cyprus, I think, was was where where they met. Yeah, it was Cyprus. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, but there is a chance that she knows who he is and would recognize him. Whereas. Right. And, and but well, yeah, absolutely. But also like one one can I, like I don't know, like that's just a thing in movies, though, where like, though, right. also is that like right. in reality. If she knows where what's going on and like has some inkling of like her the p- place and position she's in and stuff like yeah it's definitely possible. It's also just possible that like she got dragged here and like she's just responding in the way that right. like she's being in, she's being interrogated and she has no reason to answer and also right she's and she's just in a place where she's like I didn't bring right. myself here I was right. brought here like what do you fucking want from me <laughs> like yeah. I have no answers for you. I don't want to engage with you. You're just a right. weird yelling man in my face. And and when when Helen shows up, there is one thing Margaret says that is is valid criticism about the way Helen is helping uh the bass as well. And that's you brought two starving people on a train from London. <laughs> Right. No, I mean Helen is not particularly helpful, <laughs> and, actually. Like Helen yeah. is prepossessed by ideas. Yeah, absolutely. It is valid criticism. And it's also like even if that weren't the case, maybe even if they had like she had fed them before they got on the train and stuff, like and all this stuff, and you and like wasn't a, putting them in a position where they might just be abandoned in this place. Like right. Helen's solution is not really a solution. Like it's not right. right. Does Helen is not going to get them justice here and now at this <laughs> wedding. Like that's right. not that is not going to happen, but like Helen operates in a sort of I don't know metaphorically speaking Helen's a very interesting character like her place sort of metaphorically. She's more sort of more radicalized towards the idea of like fixing things uh but has no conception of how she would go about doing that right um and like and 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 as such sort of just flails around angry yeah um and that that's an interesting thing as well i think helen is like the main character in baduce from drowning not the titular character, obviously she's not Badu, uh, but right. but the the guy who brings Badu into his house, right? Right. You know where she's she's liberal minded. She thinks this is the right thing to do, uh, but she's not actually thinking it through. And and you know, I, Badu might be something interesting to revisit too, because yeah, actually, not, yeah, I don't know that we necessarily talked about the differences between charity and and justice when we talked I don't, about. Badu, I don't think so. But, I think we did talk about we did like like mildly touch i think on the ideas that like of how silly the that 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 particular character's actions are in actuality like how meaningless they are um but yeah like helen is like helen's in a weird spot right because we do see helen occasionally make moves that are like much more beneficial and meaningful than 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 anybody else in the sense that like helen's like i'm not going to send them 
charity. I'm going. To, I mean, it is, but like it's still that part. But she's also like going to send them enough money to like dramatically alter their station station in life, right? It like well, I don't know. A check for five thousand pounds in nineteen ten might be enough money to dramatically. To that's what I'm saying. It's like but, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I I got the impression from it. Like again, I this is maybe a problem of me not knowing. Like, right. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't know what that's worth. Uh, no, I don't either. Period, but like the way so. she's talking about it and the way her brother reacts to it, it uh, like seems like it's a lot of money. Like it seems like yeah. it is a significant, yeah, meaningful amount of money. Uh, dude, it's worth five hundred and seventy-four thousand pounds now. <laughs> well, almost six four. Oh, actually, almost. That's in twenty eighteen. It's there you go. probably even higher. The point being that, like, she's not sending them a pittance, and that's what I'm no. talking about. Is that like Helen is more interested in engaging in like actual proper like something closer to justice, right? Like, because it's not per, it's not she's not perfect. She's like way off, but like, if he took that money they would not be in the position they were in anymore. Right. She would have essentially flattened the hierarchy. They would be well off enough to she, for him to get a good job and like she like, would have given him enough money to get out. But while the brother does respond that that is a lot of money, he does not respond with that is an amount of money that will ruin our lives. Well, so, no, he does point out that that would probably ruin Helen. I, I suspect that may be that all true, the money Helen has. Right. It might be all the money. It Helen does has. seem you do get the okay. impression that possibly no, Helen right. is right. is is inherently ruining her life to help him. Yeah. And then he rejects um, it, which we get into this sort of thing where we get if, into, uh, run into Leonard as a problem in the sense that Leonard comes from that kind of money already. Right. And has already rejected it once and continues to sort of reject that out of hand, sort of dismissing what Jackie might prefer, right? Like Right. Would Jackie And there's also agree to that? I mean like Jackie might because right. like that's life altering, right? Like that's like, oh, we I that it doesn't fix things, but it does make my life livable, right. like really meaningfully it is, livable. It is also money she does not offer until she has been come pregnant with his son, right? Um, uh, I mean, does she know at that point? Is she visibly pregnant? I've, I've lost track of the movie. I lose track I of like she, where we are in the movie. I, you know what I mean? Doesn't she does make sense? I get, I'm so doesn't confused. that I, check get sent right before she leaves for Europe, or am I confusing timeline in the movie? No, I think it does, and like I don't know that we know that she knows that she's pregnant in. When she right. first but leaves it is, for Europe, but it is after they have sex. Yeah, uh, but like I got because, news for you, man. Like I know, I no, I'm it not is, but it is, but course, like but. that that is true. But like you're right. I'm not. I don't know that you're wrong. I'm saying that like it's textually not necessarily in the movie that, that it is after they have sex, but like it doesn't seem necessarily that A and B are directly like one to one related. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like she's like paying for that or something like that in the, that that sort of weird sense. It has more of a feeling of like she's leaving and she's going to put this problem to rest on the way out. Does that make sense to, to my to my right, read? Right, like right, this right. idea of like we, I want to fix it 
what your your the situation for you once and for all. I don't want right. to I don't want to bring you with to with me to Europe. Right. I'm going to go live with my family anyway in Europe. I don't necessarily need the money to live. Which is of course a, a problem, right? Like that's part of it. Is right. like she's actually right. destituting herself, of sort of, but she has plenty of people to fall back on, right? As right, she's as got a much larger do. safety net, and right. she is trying to give him that safety net. A right? safety net, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, I, I I understand that there's like it definitely maybe them having sex does have a relationship to that. I'm sure, uh, but at the same time, it also does have this feel of like, well, I'm leaving for Europe. I'm done with England. Take this money that I've been using in England that I'm not that I do not need that that yeah. but will change your life on my way out and like I uh, it is understandable sort of like there's a sort of also a sort of like masculine uh thing going on with him rejecting that money right too yes. that that whole like yes his pride uh because like you know again. Had she mailed that money to Jackie, right? I think Jackie would have taken that money. <laughs> well, and and rightfully so, right? Like Jackie should take that money, not not because like it pays all, not that it like fixes things, but like you know what, Jackie deserves to win. Like it's a you know what I mean. So it it is just interesting. Like I I I my my main sort of point of that was is that. Helen is noticeably more radical. Yes. Than the others around her with her willingness to take things as far as one would actually need to take things to fix problems. No, like her, that's a mailing a person a check for $500,000 is an individual $500,000 in a way that might actually make you noticeably poorer is a very different thing than what Margaret is about. Right, right, one hundred percent. And I, I absolutely agree. But also, Helen, Helen's course of action is is not. It's also ju- yeah. There's a lot it's of also not justice Helen's course seeking. Of, yeah, right? No. Yeah. No, it's not. I'm just saying it's 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 further down that road than than any other character right, is engaged right. with. That the is movie. that is fair and that is true. Yes. Yeah, it is. Like I said, I ended up liking this movie a lot better, a lot more than I expected it to. Even you know, the first few minutes have have good comedy moments that I, I wasn't turned off immediately. No, right? no, but I but, was worried. I was worried at the beginning that that was what this was going to be. It was that like it kind was, of a period that, comedy kind of thing. I was like, yeah, I don't well, this some right sort now. of some sort of upper class comedy of manners thing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. That's I was. That's where I was headed. I was like, oh no, yeah. And certainly a lot of a lot of the comedic stuff in here is people overstepping manner stuff centered around Helena, right? You know, and her uh her alluded to habit of picking up any umbrella she sees. Which I think we've talked about on the podcast officially in the past. Uh umbrellas should be a thing that you don't own. And you should, I, there should I just agree be hundred percent repositories like, I... of umbrellas. That, I agree one hundred percent. That is, I yeah, I could not be more on board with anything that we ever talk yeah. about. Is that like umbrellas, much like many other things, are a public good and should just be evenly yeah. distributed throughout society. Yes, uh, no one anyway. should want for an umbrella. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, so let us once again end our podcast with a call for pure umbrella socialism, uh, mm. at the very least. <laughs> if we can get nothing else, everyone should have an umbrella. Especially when you consider how everyone, often they break. Everyone, everyone should have access to an umbrella. I have uh, a question. Do you think that umbrellas are like are are engineered obsolescence? Do you think they break so often on purpose? Oh, I just think by a function of the way they are designed, they have. That's to. That's what I mean. It's like I've I was wondering that. I've thought about that a few times. Like, is it possible to build a non-breaking umbrella, or is it just a function of the way they're built that like? No, there's these are always going to just break. Like uh, I, we're putting a giant sail on top of a stick. This shit's going to be bad eventually. I would never know because the things that are advertised as unbreaking umbrellas are too ex- much more money than I want to spend on an umbrella. I didn't even know those things existed because my only interaction with umbrellas is I su- like the my under like my entire world of umbrellas are as these like hyper cheap commodity items that are like right. every convenience store. When it rains, suddenly all the umbrellas show up at every convenience store, and you're like, you guys just store these in the back when you're not when it's not right, raining. Right, right, yeah. We allow um, the display. I think uh, it probably comes down to uh, I can't remember where this is drawing from, but the the boot theory of, uh, <laughs> of oh yeah uh, the uh, oh yeah no it's a it's a. Uh, where, it's a Terry Pratchett thing. It's the idea yeah, I think that like, it, a, a I cheap boot wears out after right. a year. A, a good leather boot yeah. you'll have for the rest of your life. While I, being while rich I have, is ex, is cheap, being poor is expensive. Is the right, basic right, sort of takeaway. Right. Uh, while I have slowly, as I've had money invested in better shoes in my life, uh, it has never occurred to me that buying a ten dollar umbrella every year instead of a fifty dollar umbrella that might actually last me. Well, a decade. see, that's the thing, right? I because, didn't know that fifty dollar umbrellas. Yeah. Exi- I assumed because, that fifty dollar umbrellas were purely um, decorative embellishment. Right, right. Does that make sense? Um, like, I assumed that a Gucci umbrella would break just as quickly as the oh, one I'm, I buy at the convenience store. I'm, it's just I'm sure it, more expensive for the name. I'm sure a designer umbrella, yes, but I feel like well, there are there are umbrellas advertised as unbreakable that are still like fifty. I days. feel like maybe we need to use our Patreon money to figure yeah. this out. <laughs> well, ultimately, what it what it boils down to is I don't I don't buy cheap umbrellas because I assume all umbrellas will break. Uh, I buy cheap umbrellas because I will lose it. I wish right, that's also I true. Leave, yeah, that's also I will true. leave that umbrella somewhere in I, the in the first week of owning I just, it. Nah, so. I just don't. I mean, I end up. I what I end up doing is stockpiling umbrellas in like a really yeah. radical way. If <laughs> if there's if there's one thing I'm guilty of, it's some sort of weird umbrella hoarding. I have when it when I'm headed in a rainy season, the trunk of my car has like nine umbrellas in it because I'm like, well. By the end of this rainy season, there will be no umbrellas in this trunk because they will have right. all been either lost or placed somewhere, left in some some umbrella stand somewhere throughout the season. Uh, well, I think we can probably draw this to yeah. a close. This week we have been talking about Howard's End uh, from 1992, directed by James Ivory, based on the 1910 E.M. Forrester book of the same name. Uh, next week, I'm really excited. I believe we're watching our first Indian movie actually made by someone from India next week. Oh, my God. Uh, in in the entire collection, we are nearly Holy 500 God. titles in, and, and we're finally here. Um, it is Monsoon Wedding, 
directed by Mira Nair from 2001. Uh, so really look forward to that. It is a, uh, a comedy drama uh, about a monsoon wedding, I assume. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, we've, we've certainly had movies set in India before. Uh, yes, that but were... we, we've never had any that were actually made by a person who's from <laughs> India. Yes, well, directed by a person that's directed, from India. Yeah, directed. Uh, there were there were certainly made that had heavy his... heavy yeah, involvement yeah. from yeah. from Indian uh, Indian production staff, I believe. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember uh, talking about that. Yes. In any case, uh, yeah. Super look forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick or Tara Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Austin Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Coetari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.